Well, we're continuing in this church series, and we've been talking about how unique the church is, and that the church is people, but it's people that represent God to the world. I mean, just pause for a moment and think about that. That God's people seen in the church represent Him. And that we're bringing a message about Him to the world and we are to be living in a certain way. And we need to recognize that as we do this, we're living in a world that is on fire. The world is filled with chaos and confusion and it's even seeping into the church so that People are living in a certain way, much like the world, and very differently than the way Jesus intended. So the first of the messages was, what church? And we talked about a church that Jesus is the head of. Now, that may seem obvious, but it is not always lived out that way. Remember what it says in Matthew 16, 18. Jesus said, I will build the church. He wasn't saying that we get to build it any way we want. He had a plan. He had a direction. And so as we've been learning is that the kind of church that we want to see is where Jesus is present, where he is made much of, where people are worshiping Jesus, that we're submitting to Jesus and following him. Or as we said, that Jesus is setting the agenda. Then we talked about, well, why church? We talked about that the church is a place where God has deposited His Word. That His Word, the Bible, is different than any other holy book. You can read the Quran, you can read Hindu holy books, but there is no holy book like the Bible. It is unique among all of them, and God has chosen to reveal Himself to the world, and He has entrusted this to His people. And we should be faithful to be preaching the Word, studying the Word, learning the Word, but living the Word out. So we have been given this. Also, the church, why is it so mission critical? Is that the church is the one that has the words of life. Right, Coming from Jesus Christ, he has given us the gospel, the good news, the hope that there is more to this world than what we see, that there is a life beyond. And the only way that we move from this world to the next with God is through the person of Jesus Christ. And so why the church? He's entrusted us with this message of hope. But I also gave a third reason. I just want to bring this back. When the church is the church living humbly, living with a demonstration of love and kindness, living with sacrifice and serving, it is a taste of heaven here on earth. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? So when you come into the church, you can check the world behind. You come in and you should experience humility and kindness and other-centeredness so that you can experience a little bit, just a little taste of what it's going to be like in heaven. Well, this morning, I want to talk about why church now? Why is it so important with the world on fire, filled with chaos, confusion, that the church be the church now? So if you have your Bible or a device, it's really important that you have the word in front of you. I think it is so significant that we have this word so that when you leave, you can recall it, you can bring it back, you can see it, because I want you to see it with your own eyes. At Fox Valley Church, we like to honor the word of God, and one of the ways we show our honor is by standing when we read the word of God. If you're able to stand, 
could I invite you to stand as I read Revelation chapter 3. The last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 3. I'm going to start in verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father, we're gathered this morning. We're not here by accident. We've come with intentionality. And even if we're not sure why we're here, you had a design behind it all, that you are at work, that there is no accidents, that you have brought the people for this morning, that you want to speak into their hearts. Now we ask that you would give us ears to hear. Help us to see your truth. And then give us the courage to live it with boldness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Grab a seat. Well, this morning I have three main ideas that I want to drive home. The first one is this. The church must be the people that God intended. The church must be the people that God intended us to be. Look at the beginning here, how Jesus identifies Himself. That is in verse 14. So let me look at this a little tighter. In verse 14, what Jesus is wanting us to see about himself. Remember, each church, he revealed himself in a slightly different way, but here he reveals himself. He says to the angel, write this messenger so that it's recorded in heaven. It's also recorded by John on earth so that there is a uniqueness in this, this writing of the book of Revelation to this church in Laodicea, and he writes the words of the Amen. Jesus wants to be revealed as the Amen. Now we use the word Amen as it often is in the Bible. It's often and most often a response word. If somebody says something that's true, people will shout out Amen. Even Pastor Brad this morning, right? Sometimes he'll say something and he'll say Amen or he'll say Hallelujah, right? But this Amen is like, I agree, it's true, I affirm. Or sometimes if I say something you like, someone might shout out, Amen. And what you're saying is, I agree with that. I affirm that. That is true. But here, differently than a response, it's a title. It's a name. Jesus is referring to himself as the Amen. So this comes out of 
Isaiah chapter 65, verse 16, where it says that God is the God of amen. Or probably in your English translation, it's translated this way, the God of truth. The God of truth. So amen means true. I affirm. I'm affirming what is being said. But God is a witness, as we'll see here in just a moment, that the amen is agreeing with the truth of who Jesus is. And Jesus is saying, I am the amen. But he not only describes himself as the amen, he describes himself as the faithful and true witness. Now, that's a little bit synonymous with the amen, because if the amen is the God of truth or the God who is true, what he's saying here is that the amen then is faithful and true. You can trust what Jesus has said. He is described as a witness. And so Jesus says in John chapter 1, he says that he came to this world to explain God the Father to us. So he lives on this earth. He's explaining him. He's a witness to the God who is in heaven, God the Father. So Jesus here is wanting us to see him as this faithful and true witness. That is, everything that Jesus says is faithful. You can rely on it. You can put your life into it. You can trust it. You can live by it because Jesus is faithful and true. Then he goes on and says he is the beginning of God's creation. The beginning of God's creation. Now certainly we can look at something like Colossians chapter 1 where we see this kind of description of Jesus as a creator. But here I don't think he's talking about creation per se. I think what he's talking about is the new creation. Why? Because as he introduces himself as the beginning of God's creation, he's leaning into this church that's not living the way they should. So based on this idea that Jesus is a witness, a witness to God demonstrated by the power of the resurrection is that we have new life in Christ, is that that's the beginning of God's new creation. And that the Laodiceans were not living like Christians. They were not living like they were supposed to live. And so we'll see that as we unpack a few more verses. So Jesus is saying, here is who I am. So then the question is, why did he reveal himself that way? It's because we are to imitate him. We are to be his representatives. We are to be his witnesses on this earth. So we should be witnessing in a faithful and true way to Jesus Christ and to his message. And the Laodiceans were failing to do that. So as we say at Fox Alley Church, our mission is to tell and show the story of Jesus. Jesus wants us to tell his story, the big story of creation all the way through, but the story of the gospel as well, that the only hope we can find in this world is the good news of Jesus Christ. And then as he transforms us, part of this new creation started with what? The resurrection. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he conquered death, he conquered sin, he gives us full and final forgiveness, he washes away guilt and removes shame. That is what we're testifying, and that's all part of the new creation. And the Laodiceans were failing to do that. So Jesus is moving us in this whole new direction. So let's look at the next verse here. He says, though, he says, I know your works. Now, remember, we've said this is Jesus is 
walking among the lampstands. That's all chapter 2 and 3, is that Jesus says, I'm here, I'm walking among the churches, represented by the lampstands, and he is present saying, I know your works. I know your works. Now, he's speaking to the Laodiceans. Now, sometimes people say, well, if he's speaking to them, what does that have to do with us in the 21st century? Well, the answer to that question is the same thing that all the books of the Bible have. So if you look at the church, uh, the book of Ephesians, it was written to a church at Ephesus. If I look at the book of Colossians, it was written to a book uh, to Christians in Colossae. So you have these churches that exist, and God is giving us direction. He's giving us ways that we are to live. So we should learn from this church as well, just like the other churches. And he says, I know your works. And then he says this, he says, you're neither cold nor hot. I wish, I wish you were either cold or hot. Or as it says here more directly, would that you were either cold or hot. But because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you I will actually vomit you out of my mouth. God wants nothing to do with lukewarm people. Now, as I've read that, and this is a very traditional view, a lot of people look at this hot and cold, and what Jesus is saying is talking about a spiritual hotness or a spiritual coldness, and he just doesn't like spiritual warmness or spiritual lukewarmness, right? What it's talking about, right, is the traditional view would say something like that, is that Jesus wishes everybody would be white hot. But it doesn't make sense to say that Jesus is wishing people to be cold spiritually towards him. That's just kind of an odd struggle with the traditional view of understanding it. And we do often, though, refer to the spiritual climate that way. I don't think that that's what Jesus is talking about, though. There's another way to look at that, and I think it's a little helpful to think about uh, where this all is developed. Remember, we're looking at these different churches, and Laodicea, as you can see on the map on the screen, is, is part of the, the circle where these seven churches were, and the messages are going out, and then they circulated all around Asia Minor. And remember I said that's modern-day Turkey. So Laodicea, if you see the dotted line there, is interesting because it's founded on a trade route. It's founded on a trade route. It's not founded where it has any natural resource of water. Now, most cities in the early years, right, before we could transport and move water the way we do today, were founded near water because people need water. So the city of Chicago, part of the reason it got established where it did is because there was water. It could build and grow around there. Or you look out here, we live along the Fox River, and so there's towns all along the Fox River that grew up because there was water, there was accessibility. But Laodicea did not have any of its own natural water sources. So they would often come down to Colossae down here and get their water there. Colossae was known as a place where there was some cold, fresh springs. And then up north is Hierapolis, as you can see on the map. 
But that was a different kind of water up there. They were hot springs. It was a place where people would come for medicinal purposes. So just like we have like Hot Springs, Georgia. Remember, some of us are aware that President Roosevelt had polio and he would sometimes slip away to the hot springs for medicinal purposes to get in this water. Well, Hierapolis was a city like that and there was water. And so it could be what's going on in Revelation chapter 3 is it's a reference which I wish you had the healing power of Hierapolis, the healing of these thermal temperatured waters that would take care of certain ailments or that you were cold like Colossae where you could give the hope of cold, refreshing water. So there was a picture here of Jesus saying, I wish that you had the healing power of the gospel or you had the cold, satisfying work of the water of the gospel. But because you're lukewarm, right? You bring water from Colossae. By the time it gets there, it's lukewarm. He says, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. So Jesus is setting up this scenario that we need to see and appreciate because we are, identify ourselves with Jesus as we look at these, these things of what Jesus is talking about. But the church must also be or rely on the fullness of the fullness of Christ, right? The church must rely on the fullness of Christ. So as we look at that this morning, uh, the fullness of Christ, we see this in verse 17. We see that Jesus is saying, and let me bring this one up, is that Jesus is bringing this in. He says, for you say, that is the Laodiceans, they say, I am rich. I am, or I have prospered and I need nothing. A very affluent community, right? They're living on a trade route. They're taking advantage of all that's happening on this Roman road, moving all this commerce through, and they became very affluent, very wealthy. But look what Jesus says. They did not realize that they were wretched, wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. So they were looking at themselves saying, hey, we've got all this. It's kind of much like our culture today. We're a very affluent culture. We have all kinds of things that we all enjoy, we all appreciate, we all can get comfortable in them. And what happens is when we get that comfortable, we get complacent. And the Laodiceans had moved in a direction like that. They became increasingly more complacent as they lived. And Jesus is looking at them and he says, I know what you're doing, and I know that you are complacent, and I know that you are not walking and living the way you ought to live. So as we think about this, it reminded me of a story Jesus told. Jesus told a lot of stories, but one of the simple stories Jesus told was about a father. The father was actually pretty wealthy, and he had two sons, right? He had one son who was faithful and working hard, but he had a young son that went to his dad, and he said, Dad, I want my inheritance now. And so the father gives him his inheritance, and you know the story, right? The son takes off for a distant country. And a lot of times we look at this and we start thinking a distant country. And let me tell you a few things about a distant country. You don't have to buy an airline ticket to go to a distant country. I know people that are in bed with their spouse year after year after year 
but they're in a distant country. You know what I'm talking about? We know that there are people who can come every Sunday and go through the paces, but they're in a distant country. We know that you don't need a passport to get to a distant country. Why? Because it's issues of the heart. And they take place right where we're living. We don't have to go anywhere. And so that's what the Laodiceans, they were really in a distant country. They were self-sufficient, focused on themselves, and complacent. And that's a description of the world today. The world is so focused on self. Everything is about what I want and how I want it, when I want it. Reminds me of a woman who I knew uh, some years ago. She had a beautiful home, just beautiful home. And she was a great decorator, just beautiful in the way she could decorate this house. But she was not satisfied. And she wanted a bigger home. So she went and bought a bigger home so that she could uh, decorate it. Nothing wrong with buying a bigger home. Nothing wrong at all. So she gets into this bigger home and she makes it the way she wants. But guess what? Things lose their luster, don't they? Remember when you first got your Apple Watch? And you're like, wow, this is great. And you're learning all the things you do. But after a while, you got your Apple Watch and it loses its luster. It doesn't have its power anymore. Remember when the smartphones came out, right? You, this is a powerful tool. And after a while, we just like use it as an everyday hammer, right? We just keep going about it like it's just normal or cars or houses. Well, this woman uh, gets this house and she's liking it and she makes it beautiful, paints all these different things. And one day she says, wow, it's not what I want it to be. I'm going to tear down these walls and make it more like I want it to be. And she spent tens of thousands of dollars remodeling her house. Nothing wrong with spending $10,000 or thousands of dollars to remodel. It was a beautiful house, but it wasn't satisfying after a while. So guess what she did again a second time? She remodels again and spends thousands of dollars removing other walls, putting in new ones, changing windows, and all around this house. Well, that only lasted a number of years, and guess what? It lost its luster. And what does she have to do? She now sells the house, moves to a bigger one, and starts the process all over the place. See, that's what is happening here is that these people are living in this complacent lifestyle and they're searching for something. They're constantly looking for something and they can't find it. They're looking for something to satisfy their souls. Maybe it's relationships, maybe it's family, maybe it's love. I just want to be loved by someone. Nothing wrong with any of these things. Some of us are seeking or looking after likes. Some of us are looking after things or money or meaning. And we're always, always looking. But Jesus Christ is the only one that can satisfy the deep longings of the heart. Jesus Christ is the only one that can satisfy the things that we're certainly looking for. So when we think of the distant country, you don't have to go anywhere. You can have the distant country right in your heart because you're looking for something to meet something in your own soul. But the church must rely on the fullness of of Jesus Christ. That's where he's going. And so look what Jesus then says. He says, I counsel you. I counsel you. Because you're wretched, poor, pitiable, right? All this kind of stuff. He says, I counsel you to buy from me, first of all, some gold. Gold. 
gold refined by fire. Don't settle for the gold that's in this world. I'm going to give you real wealth. I'm going to give you something that will sustain you, something that will meet all of your needs. And the question is, do I believe it? Remember, they were on a commerce route, so they were very wealthy, and they speak in their language. He's speaking right into them. We could say it. We live in one of the wealthiest countries in the world, and we seek and think that money will meet all of our needs. But you can have all the money in the world, and it can't meet the deepest needs that are going on in the soul. But not only did Jesus counsel them to buy gold from him, look what else he says. I want you to buy some white garments. I want you to buy some white garments. Well, why white garments? Well, first of all, the Laodiceans were in a culture, part of their commerce was they had this beautiful black cloth. And it was very soft, it was very luxurious, and people would come and buy it. That was some of their commerce in that center. And Jesus is speaking their language. He says, no, you need to buy some white garments from me. Now, we could chase down what white garments are, but certainly we could talk about purity. We could talk about forgiveness of sin. We could talk about removal of shame. We could talk about washing away guilt. Why? So that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. What Jesus Christ wants to do is he wants to transform us and change us from the inside. And so he's trying to speak the language of the Laodiceans to say, buy, buy from me, get the gold that I offer, real wealth, something that won't wear out, something that'll carry you into eternity. Then he says white garments, but then he says also some salve here to anoint your eyes so that you may see, so that you may see what Jesus Christ is wanting to do is open our eyes so that we can see the truth of the gospel. When we see the truth of the gospel, we can then look out at the world and see that the world is on fire that the world is full of chaos and confusion, that the world is trying to do what only God can do. So people are on the search. They're constantly searching. They're constantly looking. They're constantly going after something to try to meet those deepest needs. And what Jesus tells them to do is to repent. As I thought about this, I think of like a dandelion, right? And many of us familiar with dandelions, right? They, they grow really well in my yard. I have a lot of dandelions. And I've learned something about dandelions. I've learned that if you just break them off, they just grow back bigger and faster, right? And if you even dig down a little bit and leave some of the root there, they'll come back. What Jesus is wanting us to do is dig out the dandelion, the whole root. That's what he means when he says, repent. Right? He, he, he says that, verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Don't get complacent. Don't rely on self-sufficiency. We live in a world with a lot of addictions. There's people right here this morning that have sex addictions. They're constantly in porn. There's people here that have alcohol addictions. They've got drug addictions. And these aren't new. They're, they're, there's patterns, long-standing patterns. And when you talk to them about it, they say, oh, I've got this. I've got it under control. I don't need help. What I want to encourage you is to quit lying to yourself. 
If your spouse says you have a problem after years and years of dealing with something, can I just say, you've got a problem. If you've got friends that have come alongside you and said, dude, dude, you've got to deal with this. We can't deceive ourselves. Jesus is saying, be zealous and repent. Lots of places to get help today. Get help. It's destroying our marriages. It's destroying our families. It's destroying our community. And it's destroying our nation. People with all kinds of addictions. And it's bringing down the world. So when I say the world is on fire, I'm saying this is the way we're on fire. Why? Because we're always searching. We're always looking. All of us are doing it constantly, myself included. I've constantly got to be repenting of the stuff that I turn to to kind of make myself feel good, right? So I need to turn away from that and seek the Lord. We need to find our fulfillment in Christ. That's what Jesus is saying over and over again. I counsel you, he says. I'm giving you advice. Listen to me. Buy my gold. Buy my white garments. Buy myself so that you can see and do that Jesus would have us. This is why life groups are so important at Fox Valley Church. We want people to be in small groups where they can study the word, learn, and challenge, and confront, and help each other grow. Because... We don't want to be like the Laodiceans and get complacent and self-sufficient. But Jesus goes a little further. The third area I want to talk about is the church must bring an urgency of now. Look what it says in verse 20. Jesus Christ says this. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him. There's an urgency now. Jesus is knocking right now. Let's remember who this is written to. This is a letter written to a church. A church is people that are professing to be Christ followers. And in any given church, just like this morning, there are people here, and the metaphor, the picture that Jesus is using is he's knocking on the door of your heart. The picture that he's trying to roll out is that he's knocking on the door of your soul and he's pounding and he's saying, open the door. And there's some people here this morning that have never opened the door ever. And if you feel or sense or hear Jesus knocking, open that door. In fact, I want to urge you, don't leave this place until you open the door. Now you say, wait a minute, what do you mean open the door? Here's exactly what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, come to me. I'm knocking on the door of your heart. Remember the prodigal son? What happens? He's out in the distant country and he gets tired. He's tired of looking. He's tired of searching. He's tired of wandering. And he goes back to his dad. And his dad embraces him. And you remember what the son said? The son looks at his dad eyeball to eyeball in this embrace. And he says, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. So when we open the door, what you're doing is you're looking God, looking at God and you're saying, I have sinned against you. Forgive me. 
thank you that you sent your one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross so that I could find forgiveness, so that you would remove that guilt and take away that shame. That's what the cross of Jesus Christ offers. There is nothing in the world that offers that. Oh, you can try to put some kind of balm on it. You can try to somehow try to fix, but you'll never be able to do the deep work that only Jesus Christ can do, the forgiveness before a holy God, a holy God that's pouring out his wrath on this world that's in chaos and confusion. We can flee from that and spend eternity. Look what he says. He says, I will come into you and I will dine with you. So if you're here this morning, and you have never opened that door. You have never said, Jesus Christ, I am a sinner. I need you to forgive me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I want to encourage you to do that right now. There is hope nowhere else in this world but in Jesus Christ. Those are his words. He says, no one can get to the Father. No one can get to heaven except through me. So the hope is in Jesus Christ. But now Jesus is also speaking to another whole group of people of Laodiceans, people that think they're Christians, people that have made decisions for Christ, people that have walked in his path, and he says, I'm knocking on your door. Why is he doing that? Well, we've already seen. They become complacent. They've become self-sufficient. Instead of calling on Jesus, they call on doctors. Instead of calling on Jesus, they call on financial planners. Instead of calling on Jesus, now there's nothing wrong with doctors and financial planners, right? You know that. They're helpful. But are we ultimately relying on them or are we relying on Jesus Christ? It's about ultimates. Where are we putting our trust these ultimate things is it in jesus christ so jesus says behold i stand at the door and knock the door of your life right now all of us have things that we're prone to turn to for satisfaction and comfort we're all searching we're all looking and jesus is saying repent and turn so he says i stand at the door and knock if you open that door the urgency of the hour is strong why because Jesus may just stop knocking. Why? Because he's going to return. He's going to keep knocking until he returns, but we don't know when he's going to return. And people are thinking it's always going to keep going. It's always going to keep going. Why? Because it's kept going for 2,000 years. Eventually, it's going to stop. And Jesus is saying, Behold, I stand now and knock. Open the door and I will dine. What's the picture? A picture of fellowship and metaphor for relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So this morning, as we look at this, I'd like to end the service a little differently. I want us to just meet with the Lord one-on-one. -on -one. I don't know what's going on in your heart, but you do. You know if you're discontent. You know even if you are here that you may be in a distant country. And Jesus is saying, come on back. Come back into the arms of the Father. And the Father will forgive and the Father will embrace and he'll kill the fattened calf, right? That's how the story ends with the prodigal son. Now, sometimes people say, well, I don't know how to do this. Let me give you a couple things. Certainly it's hard where we, we don't have a lot of room in the seats, but if you want to get on your knees, it's a posture 
posture of surrender. It's a posture of humility. At Fox Valley Church, we talk about being palms up. Nothing magical about turning your hands up except this. We're physical beings, and it's a posture of humility. It's a posture of receiving and saying, God, I need something from you that only you can give. And what do you say to God? Well, let me read a verse that we're going to meditate a little bit on. Matthew 20, uh, Matthew 16, Jesus says this. He says, what will you gain if you own the whole world but destroy yourself? What would you give to get back your soul? So there may be another verse that the Lord is laying on your heart. But I want to take some time and just meet with God. I'm going to invite Pastor Brad to come out, play some music. Sometimes that helps us. But I want to, you to envision that you're on this journey. You're looking and you're searching. And Jesus wants to meet with you right now to show you that the search needs to end with him. The search needs to end with him. Give it to him, whatever it is, whatever you're prone to turn to. Remember this. Jesus is knocking right now. Jesus is knocking on your heart right now. Jesus is knocking on your heart right now and he wants to meet.